1209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, the acting sheriff says he's got this secret idea. They're going to close Lincoln Hills, and he's got this, this idea. It's a secret, but it's an idea of where we're going to put some of the hardcore offenders. Well, he, you're using the word secret. Yeah, he well, yeah, just he said says that he's, he's not it, ready he's not to talk anybody. about it. So it's a secret. He's yeah. keeping it secret. Okay. All right, no, I, yeah, he didn't say secret. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm. so the acting sheriff, he's, he's got this plan where you're going to put people, but he's not going to share it. So I think it's fair to say okay. he's, he's right. keeping it as a, a secret. All right, I, I, I've got one word. Northridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe Wauwatosa, big distribution center. Oh, right. Northridge, J.C. Penny. Maybe he had some in... Uh, Northridge. Uh, you Northridge, know, whenever we yeah. talk about what to do with Northridge, that, that's that's always... All these people will always email us, ah, let's turn it into a juvenile prison. I mean, it's not doing anything else up there, and none of the other plans will work. Hmm. Yes. No, he didn't say he had a secret plan. I just, I'm just saying, when you, <laughs> when you say you've got a plan, but you're not going to tell anybody, that sounds like you're keeping it a secret. <clears throat> all right, all right. Just saying. All right. Chris Abley, the Rich Kid County Executive, gets his hat handed to him in a big way and tries to spin it. And I, I just I love the way these guys try to, try to spin stuff. Abley has lately been on a let's raise taxes tear. He goes, remember two years ago, he wants a $60 wheel tax, 60 bucks. For the privilege of keeping your car in Milwaukee County, those people who actually register their cars. All right, so the county board says, no, we're not going to give you that. They pat themselves on the back by only imposing a $30 wheel tax. Abley is not happy with that, and, you know, he's been fighting for a $60 wheel tax for the last year. There's a referendum. They ask people, would you pay for a $60 wheel tax? What, 72 75% of the people say no. Abley doesn't take no for that. So finally he backs off only because he's being forced to do that. So then Abley comes out and says, well, what I'm going to do is, in order to make ends meet, I'm going to try to find things that are going to impact the public in the worst way possible. And if I can screw over my political opponents, I will do it. For example, there's a successful pool in Lincoln Park. It is in the county board chairman's uh, district. I'm going to close the Schultz Aquatic Center. Well, that ends up going nowhere, but it shows what Abley's all about. And he, of course, then comes out and he's pushing for a massive tax increase as far as paying for parking. Now, here's the dirty secret of this this pay-for-park stuff. This really was going to do nothing but enrich some parking operator. And it's been frustrating to me that not enough commentators have pointed out what Milwaukee County, this is what Abley wanted to do. He wanted to hire a private outfit to charge for parking in the parks. The private outfit would then kick back a percentage of what they took in to Milwaukee County. So the goal was Milwaukee County raises $1.6 million. Well, let's do the math. That means that this private operation is going to be hitting Milwaukee County taxpayers or people from outside the county that come into Buena Park for $16 million a year and then kicking back a small percentage of it. The only people that would have benefited from this is whatever operator 
was able to get the contract to run this. And so it's not like, well, we're asking for $1.6 million from the county. It's really we're asking for $16 million more for county residents or other people who use the park to pay. So a portion of that can get dribbled back into the county budgets. And, and that, that analysis has just been completely and totally lacking. County wasn't even going to try to do this. In any event, there was a complete and total uproar. This was a complete and total non-starter, and I think most members, if not all members of the county board, realized this wasn't going anywhere. The public hearings were somewhat reminiscent of what was happening at the start of the, the pension scandal thing, and I remember back when that was all going on. And so today, Chris Abley, trying to I don't know, put the best light possible on the fact that his plan to raise taxes was just not going anywhere, sends out a statement. Dear friend, dear friend, today I'm asking the county board to discontinue the pay-to-park program that was included in the 2018 budget, my 2018 budget, and use instead the county's rainy day contingency fund to fully fund our parks department for this year. Isn't it interesting? Remember, one of the things Abley wanted to do was he said, okay, we're, we're going to have to cut bus routes because we, we don't have enough money unless I get these taxes I want. When he didn't get the tax increases, mysteriously, we found money to keep all those bus routes going. Isn't that amazing? And so now when the pay to park is going nowhere, well, now it's, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to just dip into the slush fund. We asked for public input in order to better understand how people feel this new dedicated revenue stream about this new dedicated revenue stream to the park system. We asked for public input. Now, they didn't ask for public input. He proposed this massive tax increase, and you responded and told him no. Abley wanted to shove this down the residents of Milwaukee County's throat, and for once, the county residents rose up and said no. Abley's note continues. I said from the beginning that charging for parking in the parks is not something that I prefer. Huh. I am pleased that we will be able to avoid charging visitors from paying to park their vehicles this year. I must caution this is a short-term solution to a long-term problem. Um, Aside from rainy day funds, other difficult options we had to consider were increasing the vehicle registration fee, $5 per year, or dramatic widespread closures across our park system. With no good options, I'm asking the county board for this temporary fix while we work together to plan for other alternatives in next year's budget. You know... If they would have sold that decrepit parking garage to NML back a couple years ago when Northwestern Mutual wanted to buy it, wonder if we'd be in this mess now. But anyhow, Chris Abley saying, well, you spoke and, and, and I heard and I never wanted to do this. Nuts to that. This was his idea. He was trying to push it through. This would have simply made some parking lot operator rich and thankfully. The people in Milwaukee County rose up and said no. All right, we start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things. Big story number one. How can I say this? Ed Flynn, this is his last week. The police chief is heading out of town, and he's settling some old scores. It does appear that he's got some scores to settle. How should we caption big story number one? What the hell is going on in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee? I'll tell you the story as it was reported on Channel 12 last night, coming up. And it's an amazing one. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
It's 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Jackson Brown is on his 2018 acoustic tour. He's making a stop in Milwaukee this summer. Um, he is going to be playing at the Riverside Theater on Saturday night, June 16th. Um, keep listening to my program today and all this week. Today, during the 1 o'clock hour of the show, we'll be giving you a daily chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. Like I say, today it's going to be during the 1 o'clock hour. I saw Jackson Brown at the Riverside Theater a year or two ago. It was a tremendous show. All right, big story number one. What the you-know-what is going on at City Hall? This actually... But between the health department and crime and all this other stuff, you, you start to see this type of thing happening late in administrations. And it appears that kind of Tom Barrett is sort of losing control of, of everything that is going on. Ed Flynn is the outgoing Milwaukee police chief. This is his last week. And um, he, he's apparently not going quietly. Um, and he's sharing he's sharing stories that had been previously unknown. This one was featured on Channel 12 last night. And it's it's kind of hard to follow, but you understand ultimately where it's going. What happens is there is there's a police captain um, whose name is Johnny Scrignoli, and he, he's a captain. Uh, now, just so you can kind of understand the players, this woman named Mary Nell Reagan is the executive director of the Fire and Police Commission. She's she's a she's a Barrett person. OK, so anyhow, th- this police captain sometime, I guess, last year goes to City Hall and goes to a security officer and says, I want to see video of the garage. I, I want to see video of, of of the garage. And they end up. I think showing it to him, and but the security officer thinks this is weird. I mean, what's what's this guy doing? You know, asking for the, this this video, and so they report it to the mayor, and the mayor's office then sends it to the chief, saying, you know, what what's kind of what's what's going on here? So then they sit down with this police captain, and they say, okay, why did you go look for surveillance video? Because the average person just can't walk in and say, hey, show me. Show me surveillance video of what's going on there. So they, they sit down, the captain, and they say, why were you asking for this? And first of all, he apparently tells them some story about uh, that, that he was a wife of a friend, was wondering whether her husband was having an affair or vice versa, and so he was going to check on that. And then he apparently changes his story. He changes his story to say, well, I was checking on my wife. And then he changes his story uh, again. And at least what the police, what the police department, what Ed Flynn is saying, is that he had, this is this captain, a personal relationship with this Mary Nell Reagan. And, you know, she's again the executive director of the Fire and Police Commission. And, and he was apparently checking on her. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what they, they think. So ultimately, they get him for lying. You know, that that's so they they start they start this investigation. They come up with a surveillance photo that shows the two of them, the police captain and this Mary Nell Reagan, you know, in plain clothes in a liquor store or something like that. And so then they start investigating to determine what's going on between the two of them. If anything, they set up a surveillance of the captain's home, seeing if they can find them together. And apparently they, they never do. All right. So. In any event, long story short, the captain gets disciplined for lying about this surveillance tape. All right, fine. Well, while all this is going on, this Mary Nell Reagan, this is according to, to Ed Flynn, finds out that they are 
invest that this investigation is going on and that she is a part of the investigation. I don't know that they're particularly investigating her, but they're investigating this captain to determine if he's got a personal relationship with her. So it's again, in some respects, we're, we're kind of splitting hairs. So according to the Channel 12 story, she Again, the executive director of the Fire and Police Commission goes to the chief, and according to the chief, she, he she directs orders him to drop the investigation of her. And again, this is it's kind of again you're, you're kind of splitting hairs because my sense is they're investigating the captain, but they're investigating the captain to determine whether there's a relationship with her. Um, and so I guess. In a, in a broader sense, she's a part of the investigation. So she tells him to knock, to drop this investigation. Um, she apparently also, according to the chief, goes to Barrett, you know, her boss, the mayor, and asks the mayor to kind of intervene in this. And again, we, you've got Peyton Place going on here. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going on, but. If you've got the executive director or director of the Fire and Police Commission that is having a quote-unquote personal relationship, whatever that means, with a Milwaukee police captain, that screams all sorts of conflicts of, of interest to me. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, people have all sorts of ideas, but who knows what's going on? Anyhow, the chief says she came to him. She told him to drop this investigation of her. She threatened to sue, and now he is going public with this this story. Um, the reports on all this are, are leaked to Channel 12, and the Fire and Police Commission, for whatever reasons, apparently you know, hadn't, hadn't made these documents public. The newspaper had been asking for them for a while. Somebody leaks these. I'll let you figure out probably who did this. You know, but, but somebody leaks this all stuff. The Fire and Police Commission apparently did not want to share this information with the general public because no matter how you cut it, nobody looks good in this particular thing. So the chief is saying she directed me to, um, you know, to stop investigating her and threaten me with a lawsuit. She says, well, I never told him to stop um, the investigation. Um, it's very unclear. Tom Barrett, the... I almost feel bad about Barrett because, you know, Channel 12 sticks a, a camera in his, his face. And it's kind of the same reaction that we got when he was talking about this whole thing with the Milwaukee Bucks guy that got arrested. And he's, he's sort of like muttering and stumbling. And you're not exactly sure what it is he's he's saying about this. You know, he's saying, well, I, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we referred this investigation on. I don't know what to make of all this. I, I really don't. Other than you get the idea that late in Barrett's tenure as the mayor, the city of Milwaukee has become kind of like this giant little Peyton place, and it's just I, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, I, I if if a Milwaukee police captain is having uh, is, is some sort of personal relationship, whatever that would be, with you know somebody who's like a high up at the Fire and Police Commission, you would think that that would scream conflict of interest. If she did, in fact, go to the chief of police and direct him to knock off an investigation um, into her, you would think that that would be highly inappropriate as well. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know that anybody knows what's going on here. But you know what? You look at this whole thing and you get the idea that this is just a complete – if this isn't a hot mess, it will do tell the you know the hot mess really gets here. And I think maybe for everybody, you, again, you start to see this at the tail end of administrations where you just – 
you kind of lose control. And you do get the sense that, you know, Tom Barrett is just kind of losing control. You know, his his person on the fire and police commissions doing this. And, you know, who said what to who? Tom Barrett says, well, this is kind of a he said, he said she said thing. Well, okay, may, maybe it is. But it's kind of a big deal when it's the chief of police saying the director of the fire and police commission ordered me or directed me to kill an investigation into you know her, even if she was only peripherally the subject of it. That's kind of a big he said he said she said thing, and you'd think that you'd want to get to the bottom of it instead of just hoping it gets swept under the rug. And this might have gotten swept under the rug were it not for the fact that Ed Flynn is on his way out of town. And like I say, I think he's settling scores, but it sounds like he's got scores to settle. I don't know what else to say about this other than it's just flat out bizarre flat-out bizarre and maybe, again, is kind of indicative of the lack of leadership that is now going on in Milwaukee City Hall. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, big story number two, should they have to take the Statue of Liberty off their masks? Stick around. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Bucks spend the last few days before the All-Star break back inside the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Tonight, they battle the Atlanta Hawks. Ted Davis and Dennis Krause hit the air at 640 with buck shots. You can hear it right here on WTMJ. All right. The um, International Olympic Committee, which, in my opinion, is an incredibly corrupt organization. Um, I, I always wonder when they decide who is going to get particular Olympic Games. I would love to look at the bank records of some of the people who make those decisions to kind of wonder if suddenly there was like an influx of cash. But anyhow, the Olympic Committee, International Olympic Committee, has various rules. One of their rules says that no item may feature the wording or lyrics from national anthems, motivational words, public political messaging, or slogans related to national identity. Okay, so that's what the the rule says. Now, I, I don't understand, for example, why, you know, in an era where the team that wins the gold medal, you know, they stand up, or the individuals that win the gold medal, they stand up and they play the national anthem. So if they're going to play the national anthem for the winners, I don't understand why you shouldn't be able to have something related to that on, on your uniforms. But that's what the rule is, stupid or not. All right, so here's the problem, I guess. You have two of the hockey goaltenders, the goalies, for the U.S. women's team. And both of them, you know, goalies wear masks to stop them, you know, to protect them if they get hit in the face with a puck. Um, And it is not uncommon. Matter of fact, it is common. Let's put it in an affirmative way for hockey goalies to have different symbols and designs and stuff on their masks. Two of the goaltenders who play on the, the team have images of the Statue of Liberty on their masks. Apparently, in, in both cases, um, the, the Statue of Liberty image is on the left side of a mask. One is on the chin, uh, but it, it's an image of the Statue of Liberty. All right? It's not a slogan. It's not a quotation from the National Anthem. It is an image of the Statue of Liberty. The International Olympics Committee is saying these may have to go. Now, again, the rule says no item that would include a mask, may feature the wording or lyrics from national anthems, motivational words, 
public political messaging or slogans related to national identity. Hmm. This is the statue, an image of the Statue of Liberty. What a lot of people think that's going on here is the International Olympic Committee doesn't like President Trump, and they're trying to figure out a way to stick it to the United States. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are these hockey goalies doing anything wrong? Is there any problem with having the image of the Statue of Liberty on their masks? If the International Olympic Committee insists they be removed, what should what should the proper situation be? Should the U.S. team give in? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Even under the most liberal interpretation of this rule, and by liberal in this case, I mean uh, liberal interpretation of the rule from the side of the IOC, I don't think these hockey goalies are doing anything wrong. I think this is an effort to, again, demean the United States, and I think the response should be pound sand. And maybe, maybe, you know, to hit them where it hurts, Maybe this is one of these things where you'd like to see NBC step up and say, hey, if you're going to penalize the U.S. Olympic team in this fashion, maybe we're going to consider stopping payment on some of those checks. Now, I understand they probably can't really do it, but I think this is ridiculous. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are these hockey goalies doing anything wrong by keeping these Statue of Liberty images on their masks my answer would be no. And again, I think this is more IOC being political by trying to figure out a way they could stick it to the United States because of President Trump. Should they give in? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1241. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This to me is a complete and total non-controversy. The idea that the International Olympic Committee would try to enforce its rules to tell these hockey goalies that they can't do it. Now, we're just checking maybe in the last hour or so. They, they might have changed the policy or at least said we're not going to bar you from doing it. I hope that's the case because this is a situation, again, where to try to do this, all you would be doing is essentially trying to stick it to the American athletes. And I think partly because this is the world of Donald Trump. So bottom line is, even the most strict interpretation of this rule by the Inter- International Olympic Committee, putting the Statue of Liberty on these goalie hockey masks doesn't violate the rule. But the bigger picture is, I mean, seriously, you are there competing for your country. Why would you have a rule that prevents you from having some imagery related to your country on your uniforms? For goodness sakes, isn't that what the Olympics are all about? All right, big story number three. Oak Creek, yesterday, the Oak Creek School Board passed a policy which, starting next year, will allow the random drug testing of about 75% of the students. Under the plan, students can be randomly tested for alcohol, metabolites of nicotine, marijuana, opiates, cocaine, amphetamines, performance enhancers, PCP, or any other controlled substance used without a legal prescription. That's what the policy says. Students who test positive would not be suspended or expelled, but would face consequences, whatever that means. Um, This would apply to students who participate 
in extracurricular activities, students who participate in sports. So if you're in, you know, you're in the basketball team or the football team, if you're on the debate team, if you're a cheerleader, if you're in band, this would apply to you. It would also apply to students who park on campus grounds. Now, you might say, why don't they just do this for all students? And that's because you potentially, if you do, you run afoul of perhaps some court decisions which said that you can't implement random drug testing for everybody. But if there is somebody who's involved in these extracurricular activities or people who park, that would be okay. So that's why they're they're doing that. All right. They say it's probably going to cost less than $10,000 to do this. They say that they don't know or necessarily think that they have a, a drug problem in Oak Creek schools, but they figure, you know, who knows? Maybe this random drug test thing will shed some light on a problem that we don't know exists. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is big story number three. All right, random drug testing. And this is not the only area high school that does it. Oconomowoc, Arrowhead, Pewaukee, Wanakee, and Muskego, Norway have already implemented some form of random drug testing in the high schools. Is this a good idea or is it a bad idea? Is it a waste of money or is it something that, you know, maybe it's worth trying? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My take on this, I don't have a problem with it at, at all. Now, for example, the company I work for, as a condition of getting hired, you have to go and you have to submit to a drug test. Any offer of employment that is made is conditioned on you passing a a drug test. So it's kind of like, you know, if you have, if I were to know somebody who had applied for a job here, one of the things that I would say to them is, hey, look, um, just so you know, they're going to random, they're going to drug test. And so if you've smoked pot or something that stays in your system for about 30 days, you're probably going to test positive on this. So you just might want to think about, you know, that. So that that's the reality that's out there. There is random drug testing in a number of different types of workplaces. Is it an unreasonable thing to do this in high schools? 414-799-1620. And my answer is is no. And if it were one of my, and I don't have high school age kids, but I guess my reaction to this would be, well, if you've got nothing to hide, who cares? You know, don't worry about it. But on the off chance that if this is going to turn up some kid that's got PCP or heroin or something else that he's not supposed to have in his or her system, I mean, I, I think you would perhaps want to know that. So I think, you know, I mean, 10 grand, I understand 10 grand's a lot of money, but in the big context of things, if that's all it's really going to cost to implement this program, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Is it going to be, you know, perfect? Well, no, not necessarily, but maybe something is better than nothing. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, good idea, bad idea. What do you think? Waste of money, invasion of students' privacy. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Ted in Bensonville. Ted, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Good. I'm a big fan, man. You're Thank- a great broadcast. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You know, but, yeah, no problem. I was talking to the to your producer, of course, and the problem is, again, you're going to end up with all, you know, positive marijuana tests because all of the water-soluble substances go 
right, within 24 hours, and unless you randomly test a, a kid or anybody right after they used it, that's going to test negative, whereas the marijuana, you know, you could have used it, as you said, 30 days ago, mm-hmm. and it'll still be in you because it's fat-soluble. So, you know, it, 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 that's not effective unless you hit, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. the day after they used anything other than marijuana, you're going to get only marijuana positives. Yeah, it, it's not uh, going to be... I mean, in, in no, I mean, it's right, it, it's not going to be... Uh, permanent. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think back to my drug prosecutor days. I mean, the, I mean, cocaine. My understanding was cocaine was always like a couple days. But but you're right. It's it's not a long term type of thing. Sure. Right. But I guess does that mean does that mean you don't do it? Is is that a justification for not doing it? Well, here let me recommend this though, and I, I even I recommend this for employment too, because you know when you drug test people prior to employment, you don't ask them that they, you know the drug test doesn't tell you if they're a pedophile or a gambling addict, or anything else. What about lie detector tests? You know, lie detector, you can ask them, do you use this drug? Uh, you know, do you do this? Do you do that? Lie detectors is what should be used instead of drug tests for children and employment. Um, thanks for call, Ted. See, it's interesting. I have, I just don't believe lie detector tests are valid. I've just seen too many of them. That's why, as a general result, as a general reason, in, in courts, you, lie detectors and results aren't admissible because... I mean, I've just seen people beat too many of them. 414-799-1620. Um, and, and Ted is right. I mean, different drugs stay in your system for different periods of time. Marijuana is going to be around for a long time. Um, other drugs, much less. Now, he was saying 24 hours. I, I think for some drugs, the, the, the time is longer than that. The shelf life is longer than that. But, but regardless, I, I acknowledge that with some drugs, it, that's the whole idea of random drug testing. You know, when you hit it, it's going to make a big difference. Let's talk to um, Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Okay, is, it, is this is this a bad policy to do? Well, I'd have to say it's not. Um, I'm on the school board of Muskego, um, and we implemented this about three years ago, right. maybe, maybe four years ago. Um, I have a son that was, was in high school at the time who's now in college. Um, he told me recently that, you know, this did have a positive impact on kids because it gave them an excuse to say no to their friends, and mm-hmm. especially the ones that um, are participate in sports and extracurriculars, they, they don't want to risk it. So he said it, it really did have a, a strong impact on the student body, and it reflects because our positive tests um, and uh, the amount of drugs that we find in our high school through other means have gone down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you raise an interesting point, Rick. When I, when I think about it, th- this this is kind of the reverse peer pressure. Let's let's say that it's a Friday night and there's a party, and you've you've got the members of the basketball team or the volleyball team or whatever, and everybody's kind of sitting around, and somebody breaks out the beer or whatever. And I, I could easily see some of the kids saying, you know, we don't know. We we might show up at practice tomorrow before the game, and we might have to pee in that cup, and we don't want it to show positive. So no, we we don't want to get kicked off the basketball team. We're we're going to just say no. I right, I just don't see what the downside of this is. I get nothing but positive feedback from parents and, and students about it. Um, it's it's not a uh, like a law enforcement type of thing. Law enforcement does not get involved with any positive tests. In fact, the, the, the school is notified for the athletic code violation, but beyond that, it's more of a notifying the parents. So the because a lot of times parents have no idea. And it at least awakens them that, okay, your child may need some help and you may need to be aware of this because he's not as, he or she's not as perfect as you think. Right. So, what, so, so what, I mean, in, in, in your school district, 
somebody, let's say I, I test positive for marijuana for the sake of argument, what, what happens then? Um, first, first um, the parents are, parents are notified okay. that your children have been tested. Right. The test comes back positive. The parents are notified. The school is notified for, from the code violation standpoint. Right. Uh, but, it, but that's so different than other ways of catching them. That the same enforcement goes from that. Law enforcement is kept out of it. Right. And um, they actually retest the sample on any positive. Oh, sure. To make sure that it, it was. Sure. So, so they might, if I test positive, I'm on a basketball team, I test positive, I might be disciplined, I might be booted off the basketball team or whatever the policy, suspended or whatever it would be. Parents are notified. But other than that, there, there's no more punitive action taken. No, there's no more punitive. The, their peers are not made aware of it now. Right. Kids can deduce things at all. Sure. Okay, Johnny's got a three-game suspension, and he just was one of the random one picks because they saw him leave classroom. But yeah, um, yeah, it's it, it's kept as, as confidential as possible. We use an outside source. I think I believe it's Pro Health that we hire that comes mm-hmm. in and does it all for us. Um, and it's random. You know, sometimes it may be two times a month. Sometimes it may not be at all during the month. Um, it's multiple times during the year. We charge a fee in the beginning of the year to anyone who has a parking pass or is an extracurriculars mm-hmm. to cover the cost of it. Um, so there's no impact to the taxpayers, and it's not taking away dollars from, the, from our educational system. Yeah, Rick, th- thanks for calling. Again, th- this is the type of thing that that makes sense to me because it's another tool. And, and, and is it perfect? As the first caller was pointing out, now, I mean, it's, it's like so many stuff. Is this going to be absolute and 100%? No, it's it's not. But it's going to be, it strikes me, first of all, very, very little invasion of privacy. Um, if this is one of those cases where if you're not doing anything wrong, I don't think you have anything to hide. I've always said, let me, let me pee in a cup anytime you want to test it. And what you'll find is maybe a little bit too much caffeine. But that's pretty much, you know, all you're going to find in my system. And I guess I just don't have a problem with it. And if I was a parent, I think maybe I, I'd want to know because we do understand, especially with the opiate crisis and things like this, there's a lot of stuff going on with kids that the parents, even good parents, parents just aren't aware of. All right, when we come back, um, horrible story from Outagamie County involving a high school, and I want to raise a question about a policy, a policy that was in effect when I was in high school. Does it still make sense? Stick around. It's 1257. This is Jeff Wagner. 109, this is Jeff Wagner. Eric, when you were in high school, was there an open campus? By that I mean, could you come and go as you please no. during the day? No, had to stay in the school or on campus. So you weren't able to leave for lunch or anything like nope. that? Nope. Okay. Got it. All right. Now, I ask that because this is, as I lead into this topic, this is one of these, is it a generational thing? Do as I say, not as I do. Because I, I'm a child of the 70s. And when I went to Nicolay High School in the 70s, it was a completely open campus. Okay. You could... You could come and go as you choose. I grew up about three blocks away from Nicolay High School, so I would, I mean, I'd, I'd walk to school, so I'd routinely, you know, you'd walk there in the morning, I'd come home, I'd, I'd have lunch during study halls or whatever. You could come and go. All the doors were unlocked, and then um, once we got, we became sophomores or juniors or whatever, and people got their driver's licenses, you, you could go and you can leave. I mean, I remember my senior year, my, my buddies and I, we would pile in the car and didn't have a class for like third or fourth hour, and we'd drive up to the Peter Piper Pancake House in Mequon yeah. and have breakfast and stuff. So, okay, I, 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 that that was the era that I grew up in. And now, then, Shorewood, I think, still has an open campus. Okay. I think Shorewood High, you can okay. wander around. Now, of course, I, I, and this really makes you feel old. Believe it or not, when I was in high school, you could smoke as a kid. If you had 
if you had your parents' permission, they had smoke. Nicolay High School had designated smoking areas. If you were sixteen wow. or older, and this this is it, you could that like in the courtyards and stuff, you could go and smoke cigarette. And and a couple of the bathrooms were smoking. I, I just I will never forget this, and I've, I've never been a smoker, but I can remember walking into like the boys' bathroom in Lower F Wing or whatever, and there's guys sitting there eating their bag lunches off the floor of the. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Off the floor of the bathroom, having a cigarette, and and I mean this this is of course you know again, and I remember thinking. I hope I never need a cigarette badly <laughs> yeah. enough that I'm going to sit cross-legged on the floor of, you know, a bathroom and have that. But, all right, so no smoking lounges when you were in high school no, either. Okay. No, All right. Now, the, the reason I, I bring this up, and actually it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a very, very tragic story. Um, late Monday morning, so late yesterday, up in Outagamie County, there was, well, this is the way, you know, the Appleton Post-Crescent reports it. Five teenagers faced life-threatening injuries in a two-vehicle crash over their school's lunch periods late Monday morning. Um, the, the injured students were taken to the regional medical center in Nina. Um, responders used the jaws of life to pull four of the juveniles from inside their car. Four Kalkana High School students were involved in the crash. Um, apparently, and a fifth injured teen is a student at a different school. The crash occurred when the car carrying five teenagers. So what you have, this is about 1145 yesterday morning, Monday morning, school in session. Um, 1145, you've got five kids in a car. Four are from Kokana High School. The other is from uh, another area high school. So they're out, they're driving around. Um, they blow through a stop sign. So you got this car full of kids. They blow through a stop sign and get hit by a pickup truck that had the right of way. Four people in the car critically injured. A fifth was seriously injured. Um, again, one of the occupants of the car, they had a flight for life type of thing. Um, the inst- the crash was reported at 11.51 a.m. at the intersection of Outagamie County Z and GG. The car with the students was heading north on GG. Didn't stop at the intersection, collided with a pickup truck headed west on Z, according to the Sheriff's Department. The site of the crash is about three miles from Kalkana High School. 24-year-old Plainfield woman driving the pickup truck was, again, she was hospitalized with non-threatening um, you know, injuries. So you, you get this idea. But it's during the school day. Now, I, I went to the Kalkana High School website because I was kind of curious about what their policy is. And, and they have an open campus for lunch hours for everybody beyond freshman year. So if you're in ninth grade, you are not allowed to leave the, the campus. But 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, you're allowed to leave for lunch. And that's apparently, you know, what happened here. I don't know where the other high school kid came from, but you got five high school kids piled into a car, 11.50 in the morning, they blow through a stop sign. I assume they're not paying attention or whatever, and they get hit by a pickup truck, and you have this, this horrible situation that occurs. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, we have, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk to Eric, because these things 
you know, tend to be generational. Like I say, I was a child of the 70s. It was open campus. You came and you went as you liked. And I don't want to be a hypocrite about this. I remember in high school, I loved being able to come and go as I chose. And the fact that I lived close to the high school made it even better because you could just run back and forth. It was five minutes away, you know, walking. Um, but, I mean, a lot of my friends, you know, drove. And, and we would leave the school in the middle of the day. And we do sort of stuff, and I admit, maybe sometimes even cut some classes and then come back in. You were allowed to do that. That whole open campus idea went out of favor. And like I say, there was a period of time where, no, you get to school, you are not allowed to leave and come back. You know, once you leave, you're, you're gone for the day. And this school, and I'm sure there's lots of schools out there that have a similar policy, open campus for lunch hours. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is is this a good policy or should the schools be saying no, no coming and going? Because, I mean, I don't want to blame the school for this. This is what their policy is. But, you know, you've got, you know, five kids piling into a car in the middle of the day. And I don't know. They're going to lunch. They're joyriding. They're doing whatever. They're not paying attention. Somebody blows through a stop sign and you have this horrible thing that ended up happening. I don't blame the school. Other than to say, if you had a policy that said you don't leave campus until the end of the school day, well, then they wouldn't have been driving around, going to lunch or going wherever they were going. All right. Should schools, campuses be closed during the school day? And by closed, I mean you can't come and go. And I'm not talking about a situation where you've got a doctor's appointment and mom's going to pick you up or whatever. I'm talking about this. Open lunch hours, good idea, bad idea. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, my guess is, depending on when it was and where, when it was that you grew up and where you went to school, um, you, you might have a different perspective on this. Was this a preventable tragedy or is it just an unfortunate thing? Could have just as easily happened after school when the kids get in the car and they're not paying attention and they blow through the stop sign. 414-799-1620. Should schools be closed? I will tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but I'm curious as to your reaction. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Our number, 414-799-1620. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jackson Brown is on his 2018 acoustic tour. He's making a stop in Milwaukee this summer. He's going to be playing the Riverside Theater on Saturday night, June 16th. I, I saw him, true story, I saw him play there a couple of years back. It was a tremendous show in a great venue. Uh, keep listening to my show today and all this week. Sometime before 2 o'clock, I'm going to be giving you a, pair, a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show, and then we have more tickets to give away as the week rolls on. Okay, 414-799-1620. Um, horrible situation yesterday. Five kids, from four from Kokona High School, one from another high school, um, blow through a stop sign about 11:50 in the morning. Um, get hit by a pickup truck that has the right of the way. Right of way. They need to call the jaws of life. I, I think all the kids are going to survive, but but a couple are hurt pretty badly. And I mean, the, the kids they were out. They have open lunch hours at Kokana for everybody from sophomore year on up. Um, when I was in high school, we had an open campus. When Eric Bilstadt was in high school, you you couldn't leave. Should we eliminate these open campuses? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Keith in Brookfield. Keith, good afternoon. Hey there. Hi, Keith. Um, I grew up in Beaverdam. That's where I was raised and went to school. And um, 
my father was the teacher in his school district, um, but when I was in high school, we had too many students for the size of the high school. Right. And so they had alternate starting times. You had a 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and 8 o'clock start time. Right. And then when you got to lunch hour, you could have your half-hour lunch hour, whatever it was, and you were allowed to leave, but you were expected to be back for your classes. I mean, mm-hmm. um, if you had one class that you had to miss or whatever, you weren't allowed to leave, only for your lunch hour. That was right. it. But you could, I mean, but there were, um, if, if you, for example, if you if you drove to school, you'd be able to get in your car and drive to the, the local Burger Doodle or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Got yeah. it. Do you but think, only, that, but only during the lunch hour, right? Do you think? Do you think that that's a good idea? Should high schools restrict that, or is it just? Is, is should we trust people to be able to be responsible enough to leave campus? I think times have changed, but mm-hmm. back in my day, um, I mean, <laughs> if you missed the class, you knew about it. Got it. Okay. Now, th- thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But I mean, this is. This is one that, again, the, the kids were allowed. It wasn't like they were skipping school. They were allowed to leave campus. They have this open lunch hour policy. They're driving around. you got five kids crammed into a car. I can I just imagine what's happening. Nobody's paying attention. You know, everybody's kind of joking around. They blow through a stop sign, and it's a horrible situation. Let's talk to, let's see, um, Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, how are you doing, Jeff? Good, Tom. You know, you, you know companies... Uh, like your, like yourself or other companies that people work with these days, uh, you're given a lunch, you're given a lunch, or you got to check out, and check back in. You know, I think the same thing should be with these kids. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be just uh, I'm taking off and I'll, you know, we'll be back because uh, we can, we can do that. I mean, uh, responsibility. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess they, they should go. But I mean, it's right? The, it's the way, it's the way the real world uh, runs these days. And if you're if you don't, you know, or if you're going to cut classes and stuff like that, uh, let them up. Then if they don't make it back or any of other dudes, reasons why you want to skip out or that, uh, let them um, think about it uh, Try uh, when they're going to graduate or uh, right. go to the next level or a variety of other ways. When I was a kid, um, we had cl- we had closed uh you couldn't leave. No. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for call time. I guess, see, this is, I, I mean, this is, I, I want to talk about the policy. I mean, as far as I can tell, the, these kids were, were legally allowed, they weren't violating school rules leaving. The school rule says open lunch hours. If you're a sophomore and above, you can leave the campus, you know, as long as you come back on, on time. I don't think these kids were skipping school, but they're, they're out about, they're driving, there's five kids piled in a car. Don't know exactly what happened, but they blow through a stop sign. So my guess is you got five teenagers, you know, in a car. They're driving around. They're not paying attention. Boom, they go through the stop sign, and this bad thing happens. Could that have happened after school? Yes. Could it have happened on a Saturday or Sunday? Yes. But it did happen during the school day when they were out and about, which is one of the reasons why many, many schools don't allow open campuses because they they. They don't want the kids coming and going. And this, there's a variety of reasons for that, but this is, is one of them. I don't want to be a hypocrite about this because when I was in high school, I loved the open campus thing, but are, are times different? Let's talk to Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Well, I think it's a bad idea because, I mean, look at what happened up to Kikana. They got into an accident. Who's responsible? Is the school responsible? Is the children responsible? I mean, that's right. what. Big issue right there. Plus, on top of it, 
a lot of teenagers nowadays don't know about responsibility and, you know, they lose track of time or whatever or get into some sort of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, I mean, and that, and this, in this case, this is during the school day. Now, thanks for calling. Leanne and Racine sends me a text. How would closing the lunch hour stop accidents? The kids could blow a stop sign before school, after school, or anytime. Yes, you're, you're right, but, but it would have stopped this accident because they wouldn't have been out during the middle of the school day, presumably rushing to, you know, get lunch and get back or whatever. Would it stop all accidents with kids? Well, of course not. And nobody argues that. But I guess the question is, do you invite trouble if you open up the campuses and allow people to come and and go? All right. So where do I come down on this? Um, I, I, I am not calling for closed campuses. Um, I, I think kids, you, you need to learn responsibility, you know, early on. And I guess I look at this situation as kind of a one-off type of thing. By that, I mean, you know, it's a horrible situation. But how many kids overall come and go without there being any sort of problems? I, I think, as far as I'm concerned, as long as it's okay with the parents that the kid leave the campus, then I think it should be okay with the school. Again, assuming that they're back, and you want to try to not to overreact to a tragic situation like this. But if you want to talk about a teachable moment, this is that situation. You know, a bunch of kids leaving school, five people piled into a car, and now you have this just, just tragic situation that, that existed. So to me, it's a teachable moment, not something that necessarily means that you have to change the policy. And again, part of my opinion is probably informed by the fact that I like to be able to, you know, go back and forth. You know, I had a completely open campus. That's not what this is. But, you know, I think if you want to go home for lunch, I don't think there's any problem with that. But if you're going to be driving, this is one of the bad things that can happen. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Tell you what, we've got a pair of tickets to see Jackson Brown, June 16th at the Riverside Theater. Let's give them to caller number 14 at 414-799-1620. Caller 14 wins a pair of tickets to see Jackson Brown. I guarantee it's going to be a great show. Back with more in just a minute. It's 128. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I admit I have always had a soft spot in my heart for, for J.C. Penney. Because my first job, and I've, I've told this story before, but my first job out of high school, in high school, was there used to be a, a Treasure Island store. And Treasure Island back in the day, so we're talking about a long time ago, Treasure Island was like JCPenney's discount store. And not, not an outlet store, you know, for overstocks and all. But I, I think like the Treasure Island, I would say it was kind of the, the equivalent of a target or something like that. It, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the full blown, full out, you know, JC Penney's department store or Boston store or something like that. But I, I would say it was kind of like a, a target. That's would be my sort of recollection of this. And there used to be this JC Penney store was in the shopping center that still exists now, um, on the corner of Brown Deer Road and Highway 57, Green Bay Road. And I remember this was my first job in high school besides I was 16 years old, besides like cutting grass or deliver, you know, shoveling snow or things like that. This was like the first regular job where you'd go and kind of clock in. And I worked for several months at the JCPenney store um, around Christmas time. I was in the toy department. So it was my, I was a stock boy. Can you say stock boy nowadays? I was a stock boy, stock person. Um, I was a stock boy. And what would happen is you'd have these like, like these like skid loaders and you'd go you'd go to the you know the where the 
the the trucks came in and they'd bring like these big squid skids full of toys and then I'd go there and I'd I'd load them up and I'd bring them back and you'd put them on the shelves or you'd put them you'd move them into like the warehouse area behind the toy department it was kind of cool um and you know because you got to see all the different toys that were there and it was I I enjoyed the experience a lot not enough to want to do it for a lifetime but it was it was a great job to have for you know, several months, and I think they've, and I ended up getting laid off after Christmas, you know, because they bring on all this help. But it was a great job, and I've always had sort of fondness for, for J.C. Penney as a result of, of that. J.C. Penney, of course, is experiencing the same problem that a number of other major department stores are, are experiencing. You know, we talked last week about Bonton, which is the parent company of Boston Store. They're in bankruptcy. And now the fight is there's a lot of creditors who are saying, look, they're, they're, they're just so far in debt. There's no business model that lets them come out and succeed. So what you should do is just liquidate, just get just liquidate because they're not going to ever come up with a plan that they're going to be able to salvage stuff. J.C. Penney is not quite in the situation that Bonton is, but J.C. Penney has been closing stores, you know, right and left uh, across the, the, the country. Um, and the problem, Business Journal has a big story about this, is that, um, you know, customers are, are sh- shifting their shopping away from the, the, what I would call the mid-tier department stores. You know, there's still, you know, Target's do fine, Walmart's do fine, um, for that type, that brand of shopper. And then you have people, you know, at the high end type of stuff, but the mid-tier, one-size-fits-all shopping centers, the shopping stores, the, the Sears, the, the J.C. Penney's, the Boston stores, you know, they they are struggling. Now, in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area, you still have, you know, a handful of these J.C. Penney's stores. You've got the, um, let's see, the one in Brookfield. There's the one in Menominee Falls. There's one in Pleasant Prairie, and there's one in Greendale, Southridge. So you still have a couple of those stores. The reason we are, of course, talking about J.C. Penney is the announcement today. Um, they have this massive... You know, distribution center. It's located in you know Wauwatosa. It's um, like right along the west side of, of Interstate 41. Um, it employs about 670 people. Well, the announcement today was that starting this summer, Penny's is going to be laying off 670 employees at its Wauwatosa distribution center, and what they're looking to do is just sell the building to a local real estate firm, and what they're going to be doing is they're going to be taking the operations that were at the Penny's Distribution Center, and they're going to be moving them to a distribution center in Kansas and one in Columbus, Ohio. Um, there's a call center that's located in Wauwatosa. They're going to move that one to Kansas as well. So you have you know massive layoffs. 670 people are going to be losing their their jobs as as the demand just you know sorts of sort of dries up and i think the reason is they they just don't need that big a facility and they're consolidating and for whatever reason you know the milwaukee facility you know lost out i guess what they figure is that the columbus one can serve this area and then you've got the kansas one to serve the other area but you know it's it's a bitter pill to swallow because you're talking about you know 670 jobs and you're talking about uh, again a facility that's been there for a long, long, long period of, of time. The facility is worth like 20-some million dollars, so I'm thinking Penny's is probably looking at this and saying, hey, if we can find a buyer for this, um, 
now's the time to get out while the getting's good. But it certainly affects, again, 670 people who are going to be losing their jobs. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess it is very disappointing to see that this this happen. The problem, though, is in some cases, this is just the new, this is just the new reality when it comes to, again, what I would describe as the, these mid-level department stores, whether it's Boston Store or Sears or, in this case, J.C. Penney. The future, unfortunately, because our habits have changed and because of the Internet and all these different things, it's unfortunate, but the, the future, I don't know that I think this business model works anymore. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look into your crystal ball. Five years from now, ten years from now, will there still be any of these, what I'm calling these mid-tier department stores that, that are left? Again, high-end retail is always going to be there. And I think the Targets, the Walmarts of the world, they're, they're going to be fine for the foreseeable future. But the, these mid-level stores, the Boston stores, the J.C. Penney's, the Sears of the world, are, are, they, are any of them going to make it? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand J.C. Penney's isn't closing all their stores, but the fact that you have this huge facility being closed is indicative of the fact that um, they just don't think they need it, and I think it's indicative of the fact that you know they've been closing lots and lots of stores, and sales are down. And candidly, and I take no pleasure in saying this, I think this is going to be the future. I have significant questions in my mind whether the mid-tier, the department stores we all grew up with, the anchor stores you want, I'm not sure they're still going to be there five or ten years from now. And it may very well be that 15 years from now, if you say to somebody who's 10 now, hey, remember J.C. Penney's or remember Sears or whatever, they will look at you like you have two heads. What are you talking about, sir? 414-799-1620. Can J.C. Will J.C. Penney survive? Will Boston Store survive? My answer is, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm not sure I see how the pattern to success works. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. with crew who's producing the show today. This did not take long. I am on the Facebook page of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. You know who they blame? It's Scott Walker. The reason J.C. Penney's um, store is closing, the distribution center is closing, it's Scott Walker. Two weeks ago, it was 600 layoffs at Kimberly-Clark. This week, it's 670 at J.C. Penney's. Families across Wisconsin are feeling the pain of layoffs because Scott Walker's broken policies and misplaced priorities failed the working class. Man, you really got to be drinking some heavy Kool-Aid to go down that route. It, it's Scott Walker's fault. It's not the Internet shopping change. It's not the fact that consumer price, uh, consumer taste change. The Penny's Distribution Center is closing because of Scott Walker. Wow, that's kind of a, a twisted example of logic. I wonder if they would say the same thing. Story is Barnes & Noble. Barnes & Noble cutting staff. Um, apparently, it was not a good holiday season. The way USA Today purports it, a bleak holiday season has led Barnes & Noble to lay off employees. Their quarter-to-quarter -quarter analysis, fourth quarter 
was down, let's see, what was it down? It was down big. It dropped 6.4% uh, during the crucial holiday quarter. And Barnes & Noble you know, makes up most of its money during that fourth quarter. Online sales dropped 4.5%. Now, I don't think this is Scott Walker. I think there's something bigger going on. Um, Renata in New Berlin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, of course it's Scott Walker's fault. Everything <laughs> bad that happens is Scott Walker's fault. Don't you know that? Yeah, exactly. Oh. He should have been right. I mean, the fact that J.C. Penney's isn't selling as much stuff in um, Ohio as they once were, well, that means that we're, that's why they're closing the facility in uh, Wauwatosa. All right. Anyways. You know, you know, okay. First of all, my very first job was at J.C. Penney there on Burleigh when it was the catalog return department. Well, they had the catalog department there, and then the um, like the outlet store was there before they moved over to Silver Spring. Right. And I worked there. Oh my goodness, for quite quite a few years. And the thing is, is when I go into a store like J.C. Penney and Boston store, quite honestly, I can't afford the stuff they sell there. I would love to be able to purchase stuff there, but I can't afford it. It's mm-hmm. too expensive. Walmart, Target, they're more reasonable. You go on the Internet. I find stuff on the Internet. I'm redoing some rooms in my house, and I have looked in so many stores and not been able to find anything. I go on the Internet. Lo and behold, there it is at a reasonable price. A lot of the time it's free shipping. Some of the time it's not, but it's reasonable. You can't go wrong. And I think in five years down the road, I think a lot of these stores and these big um Malls and stuff are going to be null and void. Well, I, I think. Thanks for calling. I mean, I think there, there's clearly. I mean, this is clearly the, the issue. These, you know, the the big, the what I'm calling the mid tier department stores. I think are are in a squeeze because I, for for the high end type of stuff, I, I think there's going to be there, there's going to be that kind of demand or the specialty stores or whatever. And clearly, I think the targets. I mean, Kmart's in trouble, but the targets of the world and the the, the WalMarts of the world, and they're, they're going to be doing just absolutely fine. But I, I do think it's that mid level that's that's being squeezed nowadays. And and I don't I don't know that it's so much price um, as just consumer tastes are, are are changing. And I think just like you're talking about, more and more people are shopping on the Internet. It's why there's the Barnes & Noble brick and store uh, model. I'm not sure it works anymore. Look, I love bookstores. I, I do. But I, I confess, one of the things I do a lot of times, let's say I'm I'm reading the Wall Street Journal on Friday or Saturday, and they've got their book reviews. And I say, oh, there's this interesting book that's coming out. And I think, well, I could hop in the car, and I could drive to Barnes & Noble, and I could see if they have it. Or... Two clicks later, Amazon Prime, boom, and the, the book is there, you know, in my mailbox a day later. Well, I admit that I, I do that type of stuff. Now, if I happen to be at a store and if I happen to be at a shopping store and I need to kill some time and I go into the bookstore and I happen to see something, I'll buy it. But I think my shopping is, I, I think that's the trend. But as far as this idea that, well, it's the policies of so-and-so or so-and-so, give me a break. Um, Diana in Muskego. Diana, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Are there going to be JCPenney stores five or ten years from now? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, uh, I I really don't have no connection to the Internet. I use my daughter-in-law to go on Amazon to look for some stuff for me. But uh, the reason I called, um, uh, I cut up my uh, JCPenney's charge card um, probably last October. 
And one of the reasons is is they have um, the rewards, JCPenney. Every time I went to the store and tried to cash in my rewards, I mean, they were giving them to people down in Texas and up north in Wisconsin. And I thought, and then I would call the store and I said, well, I didn't get my rewards. And they said, well, I'm sorry, somebody already used them. But then my kids, the last Christmas, bought me a really nice meat slicer for a gift. Uh-huh. And um, by the end of summer, the motor started smoking and making okay. noises. And I thought, I, I can't use this anymore. I called the store, explained it. There was a thing in the box saying that pennies would either repair it or replace it. I called the store and they said they wouldn't replace it because they no longer carried oh. the product. <laughs> Which, uh, but you did at the time they bought it. Now, thank, thanks for the call, Diana. That you, wait a second. You did at the time I bought it. I don't care if you don't replace it. It's still under these things. Yeah, see that? I mean, you know, and customer service is the whole thing. I was telling the story earlier. I mean, over the, over the Christmas break, um, my wife and I, Fran and I, we were in, uh, we were in, we were in a Boston store actually. And, you know, she was just, she was just looking to buy a, a, a top, you know, cause we were going to uh, a party or something like that. I forget exactly. And, and, you know, even, even if you found something, um, you know, finding like a sales associate to, to ring you up was, was just this, it was this, you know, people were standing in line for 15 or 20 minutes to try to find somebody to take their money. And I'm thinking, this is not a successful business model. And of course, the problem is, it, it all kind of then spirals. You have, you're not having as many sales, so you don't, you don't, not having people buy as much stuff, so you don't have as many sales clerks, and then the waits are longer, and then people get frustrated. I, I just think, this is it's a tough niche, and really, I feel horrible. I do, I do, I do that you're closing this distribution center. But you know, this is I think what we are seeing now is we're just seeing a a, a change, a sea change in the way people purchase things. And you know, you can blame the internet, good or bad, on a lot of stuff. But a lot of these traditional brick and mortar stores, especially the stuff that the places that that cater to you know, the general type of, of things like that the mid-tier department stores would cater to, I, I think, I, I don't know that the future is, is bright. And I hope JCPenney's, I mean, like I say, they're not closing the stores around here that remain open. They're not closing those, but they are saying no to the distribution center because clearly they just, they don't need it anymore. And that is unfortunate, especially for the 670 people who are going to lose their jobs. As to the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, who says this is all Scott Walker's fault, Give me a break. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two hundred nine. this is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, this, this is kind of a difficult conversation, but I think it, it's perhaps timely and maybe will be interesting and maybe even enlightening. Um, this morning, I was talking to my wife. We, we had Good Morning America on, and Good Morning America was focusing on the, the whole the, the spousal abuse issue that's going on with you know the White House and President Trump's response to this and, and all that. And at one point in time, my wife said to me, "Why? Why do men like? Uh, what is it about? Why do men abuse their, their spouses?" And my first line was, "I said well, I, I have no frame of reference on, on this at all." And she said, "No, no, I get that." I said, "But I mean, I I guess it's 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 like anything. You know, you have these guys that are are broken. They're they're flawed. They're angry. They're controlling. What whatever." Um, I, you know, it, it, it's, it's clearly, it's clearly something that, that's wrong. If you would, you know, 
attack your spouse. And so, I mean, from the perspective of, of men that, you know, uh, again, are violent towards their wife or emotionally abusive, I, I don't know. I mean, it's clearly that this flaw that's there. But I, I was thinking about that all, all morning. And, of course, the flip side of that question is it's not, you know, why, why do the, these broken guys do this? But the other flip side is, is why do women why do women stay in, in these types of, of relationships? And there's an interesting piece in uh, the Washington Post today, and it's written by Colby Holderness, who is the first wife of former White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter. And, and she's the one that they have the picture of with the, with the um, black eye. Here's a portion of, of what she wrote. I want to use this as a launching point for a kind of a larger discussion. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway said Sunday that she has no reason to believe statements that Jennifer Willoughby, that's the second um, that's the second wife of the guy, she has no reason not to believe statements that Jennifer Willoughby and I have made about our ex-husband, former White House aide Rob Porter. I actually appreciated her saying that, at least that she, I at least actually appreciate her saying that at least she did not not believe us. Um, but I was dismayed when Conway, appearing on CNN's State of the Union, went on to say that she does not fear for White House Communication Director Hope Hicks, who has reportedly been dating Porter. I've rarely met somebody so strong with such excellent instincts and loyalty and smarts. Borrowing Conway's words, I have no reason not to believe her when she says that Hicks is a strong woman. But her statement implies that those who have been in abusive relationships are not strong. I beg to differ. Recognizing and surviving in an abusive relationship takes strength. The abuse can be terrifying, life-threatening, and almost constant. Or it can ebb and flow with no violence for long periods. It's often the subtler forms of abuse that inflict serious, persistent damage while making it hard for the victim to see the situation clearly. For me... Living in constant fear of Rob's anger and being subjected to his degrading tirades for years chipped away at my independence and my sense of self-worth. I walked away from that relationship a shell of the person I was when I went into it, but it took me a long time to realize the toll his behavior was taking on me. Rob has denied the abuse, but Willoughby, his second wife, and I know what happened. Telling others about the abuse takes strength. Talking to family, friends, clergy, counselors, and later the FBI, I would often find myself struggling to find the words to convey an adequate picture of the situation. When Rob's now ex-girlfriend reached out to both Willoughby and me, she described her relationship in terms we each found familiar, immediately following up her description with, Am I crazy? Boy, I could identify with that question. Then there is the just as serious issue of being believed and supported by those you choose to tell. Sometimes people don't believe you. Sometimes they have have difficulty truly understanding what you're trying to tell them. Both Willoughby, again, the second wife, and I raised our cases with clergy. Both of us had a hard time getting them to fully address the abuse taking place. It wasn't until I spoke to a professional counselor that I met with, that I was met with understanding. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Victims are often with their abusers for long periods of time. They marry them, become financially intertwined with them, have children with them. There are many reasons people find it difficult to leave. The bottom line is it takes strength to pull yourself away and start over. Then she goes on and on, and this is in the Washington Post today. But I wanted to use this as a launching point because when, when somebody asks me, you know, what is it about, you know, what, what is it about men 
that you know would, would make them abuse their, their spouse. And, and again, I, I don't know the answer to that other than to say that these guys are are clearly broken in in some way or, or another. But then, of course, the flip side is, you know, you have these abused women who stay in these abusive situations for long periods of time. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why is it that people stay in these sort of relationships? I mean, I I guess, and I, I remember... I was a federal prosecutor, not a state prosecutor. So, I mean, I never handled domestic violence type of cases or things like that. I, I didn't. But I have acquaintances who did, you know, on the state level. You know, and, and they would tell these stories. These are very, very difficult. Domestic abuse cases are very, very difficult to prosecute because inevitably what happens is you have, for example, a spouse that, that's that's hit, punched, whatever. And so the cops come. They issue charges. They take the guy out of the house. And then what happens is the trial comes along and the the victim, most cases the woman, doesn't show up or doesn't want to proceed because we've gotten back together and he really loves me and I forgive him and all these type of things and doesn't want to cooperate. And it's extremely difficult, you know, to to prosecute a case, you know, if you have the victim who's not cooperating. So why is it? that people stay in these sort of relationships. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Have a text here. I stayed because I couldn't afford to leave, and it would be worse if I left. Huh. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why do these situations go on and on? Because I know a lot of people, you hear this, you, you think of this, gee, somebody punched me in the nose, or somebody gave me a black eye, or somebody slapped me, or, or whatever, and I'm, and I'm talking about in, in anger, or somebody threatened me, or somebody you know, did all that stuff. For a lot of people, you hear that story and saying, okay, that's it, all right, you know, I'm done, I'm leaving. And people don't leave, and as a result, this stuff perpetuates itself. Why, why does... You know, why Why do people put up with the abuse? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's very difficult to look at some of these situations and see much of a silver lining coming out of them. Um, but but I do think this conversation, I'm trying to take the politics out of this. I understand that some people are, are trying to portray this as, okay, the Trump administration doesn't care about you know spousal abuse and things like that. I'm trying to take the politics out of that because I, I do think one of the things that's going on with the resignation of of this Rob Porter, who was sort of a rising star in the White House, is at least it's bringing to the forefront these issues and concerns about spousal abuse. If you haven't been following this story, um, he has two ex-wives who alleged that, you know, he was abusive towards them. And, you know, they didn't file criminal charges or anything like that, but they've been telling these stories to the FBI, and, and that... That held up his security clearance. Finally, the, the stories ended up going public, and, and he ended up resigning. Uh, the, the Trump administration has been, well, supportive of him without saying that they don't believe the, these women. But it's leading to this conversation about, 
you know, when you have somebody who is successful and smart and college educated and, you know, been to all the right schools and stuff, could that person still be be an abuser? Um, and there's an interesting piece, again, in the Washington Post today written by the guy's first wife. Her name is Colby Holderness. And if you've seen, she's the one that ended up, you see the picture of her black eye. You know, she makes the point, victims are often with their accusers for long periods of time. They marry them. They become financially intertwined with them. They have children with them. There are many reasons people find it difficult to leave. The bottom line is it takes strength to pull yourself and start over. I never imagined myself in the situation I'm in now. No one could have. I'm not a partisan. I'm not an activist. Far from it, in fact. Um, His second wife and I didn't seek to tell our stories in a public way. Rather, others sought, sought us out in the course of investigating Rob. I also never imagined I would be in an abusive relationship. And I think for a lot of people, that's that's kind of the key. She writes, being strong with excellent instincts and loyalty and smarts doesn't inoculate a person against abuse. It doesn't prevent her from entering into a relationship with an abuser. Often, abuse doesn't manifest itself early on, only later when you're in deep and behind closed doors. The really ugly side of Rob's abuse came out only after we married, following three years of um, dating. She goes on to write, um, it showed itself in many forms. Um, abuse visits itself on the poor and the rich, the least educated and the most, people with a strong and deep network of friends and families and those without a support structure. Um, and an abusive nature is certainly not something most colleagues are able to spot in a professional setting, especially if they are blinded by a stellar resume or background. So I think that's that's part of the key, and that's part of the dialogue that hopefully we're having, is that this stuff happens or can happen all the time. And... Um, Sometimes it and it's and it's nobody's fault. I mean, it's not the victim's fault that you get into this situation, and it's not the victim's fault that you stay because you feel trapped or don't know where to go. Um, but I do think if there's a silver lining to come out of this conversation, this discussion, maybe you know, maybe maybe this is it. And for people who are in these abusive relationships, you know, you're not alone, and there's places you can go to to get help. And if that's an outgrowth of the hashtag Me Too movement, well, it's probably a good outgrowth. It's 223. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 225. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, Valentine's Day is, of course, tomorrow. Coming up in about eight minutes. An interest, you know, we've talked about variations of the story before. The, the idea that, you know, in, in classrooms, if, if you have Valentine's Day parties, you have to give Valentine's to everybody, including, like, the bully in the class that's terrorized people. That's the new policy. Interesting story that carries that one step further, and I want to get your reaction. Before that, couple interesting things going on. And at the start of the show, we talked about just the complete dysfunction that now pervades the city of, of Milwaukee. You know, the, the story we talked about at the top of, at the, top of the show was this uh, story that was broken by Channel 12. Um, the police chief, Ed Flynn, who's on his way out. So he's, let's be honest, he's settling scores on his way out. But he's got scores to settle. I mean, he's telling this story about how apparently he was investigating one of his captains, um, who lied to him about wanting to see surveillance video. And as it turned out, I mean, at least the, the chief's story is the, the captain who was looking at this different surveillance video originally said it was because he wanted to help out the wife of a friend of his who was concerned that the friend was cheating on her wife. That wasn't true. Then he said he wanted to check on his wife. That turned out to be not true. And apparently the captain was having... I, I, 
some sort of relationship with the executive, the the uh, director of the Fire and Police Commission. And according to the chief, she went to him and told him that don't you dare investigate me and stop doing it. It's just I don't know what's going on here, other than the fact that it's a patent place and a complete and total mess. Well, it's not just the police department that's like that. Um, you, you've got, of course, the, the huge problem at the Milwaukee Health Department where you, you have the former director who had to step down because he wasn't appropriately handling the whole um, lead in the water issue. Then it turns out that he apparently had some gag order that prevented people who worked from him from going to the common council or people in the mayor's office and telling them what was going on and tom barrett didn't end up knowing about that and then barrett wants to have one of his cronies come in and be the interim commissioner the common council says no the common council wants to appoint this woman who's not a doctor um she's she's a nurse you know, who's got a degree in urban studies or something, she goes on an urban radio station last week and and essentially says, well, I I think um, when it comes to vaccines, the research is unclear um, as to whether or not there's a link between vaccines that you give for measles and mumps and polio and and autism, to which I, I think almost Everybody now, you you can question about the timing and do they give you know too much of a vaccine too soon? But I, I think every responsible study, whether it's come from the Center for Disease Control or the National Institute of Health, everybody says that there's no link between autism and these vaccines. And you now have you know the person that you're thinking about making the head of the health department who arguably is is talking about anti-vax stuff and you know now the mayor is saying well i think i might end up vetoing it but it's all this this just incredibly dysfunctional stuff that's out there should the mayor veto the, the common council's appointment of this patricia mcmanus and, and the answer is of course i mean here, here's the bottom line milwaukee has significant issues when it comes to health you need to get this choice right What they need to do is they need to go out and they need to conduct a national search. They need to do it as soon as possible. They need to get somebody who I think, you know, clearly recognizes and goes along with where the mainstream medical thought is. And they need to bring in somebody who really has the credentials and the qualifications to do this. And this this would be a bad appointment. Uh, I think Patricia McManus would be a bad appointment. I think the mayor's guy that he wanted would be a bad appointment. The truth is you've got to start getting these things right. And you're dealing with the health of people just like you're dealing with public safety. We don't appear to be able to get public safety right. You'd think you could get health right. That's not too much to ask for, is it? It's 2.34, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Now, I I understand I grew up in, I grew up in tougher, meaner times. Um, I can remember back in the day, around Valentine's Day, they would have parties in, in, actually in the public school. I went to public schools. They'd have parties in the classroom, right? Um, And, and so, and people would bring Valentines. But, you wouldn't necessarily give Valentines to everybody. So what would happen is, for example, if you if you had the, the class bully, you know, who terrorized you the rest of the year, people wouldn't necessarily give the class bully a Valentine. Now we don't do that anymore. 
because the sentiment is, well, even though the bully is a bully, if you don't give him a valentine, that's just going to make him feel bad. So even though he's been ruining your life for the last year by bullying you and terrorizing you, you don't want to warp him later on, so you have to give him a valentine. So they have these rules that say, if you're going to have these Valentine's Day things, everybody has to give everybody valentines, to which I've always said, well... I, I understand the, the concept behind this, but the truth is there's people who don't like each other, and that's just kind of the reality. Gru is producing the show. When you were in second and third grade, there were some kids you liked, and there were some kids you didn't like, right? Sure, absolutely. You know, there were kids that maybe made your life miserable, and or maybe you were one of those kids that made other people's lives miserable. But this idea that here I'm going to give you a Valentine, even though you've been beating the snot out of me, you know, I it, okay, but I that ship has sailed. We now want everybody to feel good, so everybody's got to get Valentine's. All right, this is the extension of that policy. All right, there is a school. Well, let me read you the story, the way it comes out. This is a school in Utah. It's an elementary school, sixth, sixth grade, and they have a Valentine's Day dance that the kids attend. A Utah mother is concerned after finding out her child was not allowed to reject a classmate's invitation to dance at a Valentine's Day school party because it would be against school rules. Nat- Natalie Richard, whose daughter is in sixth grade at Kansasville Elementary School in Weber County, told Salt Lake City that she was shocked to hear her child tell her she couldn't tell a fellow student no if he asked her to dance at the upcoming event. Confused, Richard told her daughter that she was misunderstanding the situation because that's not how it is. The daughter's teacher, however, confirmed that, yes, her daughter has to say yes and has to accept such a proposal. Still concerned, Richard took her plight to the school principal, who basically just said this is the way the dance is set up, and they've never had any concerns. A spokesman for the school district said that in an effort to promote kindness, the administration wants students to say yes whenever someone asks you to dance. And so the mother says, well, well, wait a second. I mean, I understand you want to promote kindness, but forcing children to do something they don't want to do sends the wrong message. She says there are many other ways to teach children how to be accepting um, other than a social dance. It sends a bad message that girls have to say yes. It sends a bad message to boys that girls can't say no. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this, of course, is the logical extension of the you got to give Valentine's Day, Valentine's to everybody, even if they've been terrorizing you and even if they're the bully, because you don't want the bully to feel bad. All right, so they have this dance, but their rule is if someone asks you to dance, you cannot say no. You have to say yes. So if you think the boy, the guy is creepy, if you don't like him or whatever, you still have to say yes to the dance. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. I personally think that that is ridiculous. I, I mean, I think, I think that even, you know, it's sixth grade. I think that, you know, women, girls should have the right to, to pick and choose. And I think that they should have the right to say, to say, you know, 
if they don't want to engage in a particular dance. And I understand this this whole thing is traumatic. I mean, I was a sixth grade boy once. I was a seventh grade boy once. I was an eighth grade boy once. I understand how kind of scary the whole thing thing gets and you try to you know build up your confidence and i guess how you know if you go up to somebody and you ask them to dance and they say no it can kind of shoot you down but from the other perspective i mean if a girl legitimately doesn't want to dance with me all right should should they have to and does this send the wrong message to both boys and girls 414-799-1620 and i have to tell you if i was a parent and, you know, I had it, and I'm not, and my daughter came to me and said, we've got this dance, and, you know, there's a couple of these guys that I really, they, they haven't been nice to me, I don't like them, or whatever, um, you know, should, if, if they, but they tell me if they ask me to dance, I have to do it. I, I'm sorry, I don't think, I don't think we should be telling sixth grade girls that they have to do anything it, with that regard, that you have to say yes. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And believe me, I understand that girls can be mean. Matter of fact, um, many of my female friends tell me that, you know, boys and girls, especially at that age, you know, boys and gr- boys get into disagreements and you argue, and then you go out and you kind of like wrestle around and it's over it. You know, girls kind of hang on these things for years. But I don't think you should be telling girls that they have to dance with boys they don't want to dance with. Cindy in Milwaukee. Cindy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Cindy. Hi. Hi, Cindy. What do you think? I might think that's wrong, and you can't just force someone to dance with someone else that you don't like it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, not, it's not right. Even though I won't want the parent, I still go to the principal and to... There's no room that you had to force your kid to dance with someone else that you don't like it. That is ridiculous. Well, 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 well right. No, thank, thanks for the call. I, I mean, I, I think it is. I mean, I, I agree. I think it is ridiculous. Um, let's see. Our, some more text. The proposal is so out left field that the anti-hunger ad, advocates initially thought it was a joke. <laughs> um, how about teaching the students to say no in a kind way? Now, see, I think, see, that's, that's a different sort of story. I mean, if, if you would go and, you know, you would say, look, you know, this is, you know, if you would teach the girls, and I'm not saying that you want to encourage cruelty. I mean, you know, I come up to some girl and I say, excuse me, Melissa, would you like to dance? And, you know, Melissa looks at me and says, why would I dance with you, you little creep? Okay, well, all right, that's that's different, right? And I'm not saying that she should be mean in that regard. But, I mean, to tell her that, oh, you, you have to dance with somebody that you like, I just, I just don't buy that at all all um let's see jamie from mosquito writes when the heck did we become a society that always has to put everyone else's feelings before our own even when it makes us uncomfortable i have two daughters no way would i make them dance with somebody that they didn't want to dance with um yeah um let's see donnie and racine writes these nitwits are going to ruin everything absolutely nothing wrong if someone doesn't want to dance and again I, i mean i think you you can say there's you can teach girls that there's ways that you can say no without being cruel. But yeah, Greg in West Dallas. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Hi there. See, I'm wondering what the school's policy would be if a boy I, asked another boy to dance I, or a girl another girl. I, you know, Greg, I, that that's not in the story. 
Um, and I actually I tried to look for more stuff about that because I I am curious about that too. You know what 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 if that was the situation? Some other boy asks you to dance, or some other girl asks you to dance. W- would you have to say yes then? And my guess would be yes. I mean, right? Because you're not supposed to hurt somebody's feelings by not asking them to dance. I don't know for sure, but that's the logical extension of this, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is Mormon country, so we got to worry about that one too. So, um, well, hey, well, again, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I want to dance with three girls. I, I mean, look, I, I just this is, it, I understand, and, and this is, I understand that we we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I get that. I, I do, I do, I do. And I also understand that, you know, kids can be cruel. I understand all that as well. But at the same time, there is this this selection process. How how far do you carry this? I mean, do you say, all right, uh, let, now we're in high school. And, you know, if, if there's going to be a high school dance and somebody asks you to that dance, you, if you want to attend, you have to say yes. You know, and I say, I don't I don't know that Jeff and Fox Point says I have women say no to me all the time. Um, yeah, that's well, that that's the kind of thing that that happens. And it's from a guy's perspective. What you do is, you know, you have to, you know, you just kind of learn to deal with them. Here's um, let's see. Chris writes, forcing girls to dance with anyone who asks them is a horrible idea. What's next? Anything they ask them to do should be okay. This opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it, it kind of, it kind of does. I mean, people, people have choices, and I think sixth grade, sixth graders have choices. Got a text here. Paul wants to know if I'll dance with him. No, Paul, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I am spoken for here. Um, I'm, I'm spoken for here. Uh, again, this is, but this is where we're going. And this is where it started when everybody's got to get the Valentines and give them to each other because we don't want people left out. And I understand the thinking is, well, it would be unkind if you say no. Well, all right, what about the person who doesn't want to do something? Do you have to, should you be forced to do it? And my answer would be no. It's 245. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just say no. It's 2.49. Where did the time go? Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Keep a uh, special reminder, uh, for the rest of the week, we have pairs of tickets each day to give away to see Jackson Brown in concert. It is a great show. All right, th- this, this is an interesting an interesting piece. Um, the, the CEO of the New York Times, um, who is, this is, of course, the, you know, it, it's the gray lady. CEO of the New York Times gives an interview yesterday um, where he he says, and this isn't this isn't some you know radio talk show host. He says he thinks that that the print editions of newspapers, this is the New York Times, have maybe get this another decade of life in them. He says I believe at least ten years is what we can see in the U.S. for our print products. He said he'd love to have the print edition survive and thrive as long as he can, but he said it, it's, it faces an expiration date. Um, we'll decide that simply on economics. There might become a point when the economics of the print paper no longer makes sense for us. The key thing is we're pivoting. Our plan is to go on serving our loyal print subscribers for as long as we can, but meanwhile, we're building up our digital business so we can continue. This is, of course, what I have been saying for years now. I, there, I think now, more than ever, there is a demand for news and information. We, we are more informed than ever, but the thing is, we want to know 
what we want to know when we want to know it. You know, if you get home from work at, at 12 o'clock at night because you're working second shift, you want to see what's going on in the world, and you want it to be current. You know, that newspaper that was printed, I don't know, um, the evening before that was put in your mailbox or on your doorstep at 7.30 that morning, that's old news by the time that you get home. Things have changed dramatically. You want the information. You want the content. But the delivery system, I, I think, is, is hopelessly flawed. And we talk a lot on this program about, you know, changes in the culture and and newspapers, I mean, I really think are in their death throes. And I don't mean, again, the content. I mean the way they are, are delivered. I grew. Do you, I mean, do you read newspapers? I mean, actual physical hard copies of newspapers. You did in college. Okay, you're now out of college. Do you anymore? No. Okay, that's what I mean. I'm, and, and, it, and, and it's what I mean. I mean, you, but you, I know you are very informed. You look at things. You send me topic ideas and things like that. So you study the stuff. I, I, I mean, I just think anybody, I don't know what that age is, under 40? I don't think anybody under 40 looks at newspapers unless you're sitting in and waiting for your oil to be changed or, you know, in a dentist's office or something like that, and they happen to have that. And, and then it's probably just the sports section. That's the way that this thing has evolved. Plus, you look at the print editions and how, how I guess, business-unfriendly they are in the experience the fact that it costs a ton of money you have to have the newspaper you have to have the print you have to have the delivery systems you know whether it's delivering them to the people and then getting to people's houses it's just it's not a cost-effective system anymore and i think just like landlines are going the way of the dinosaur you're starting to see the same thing with the newspapers and again here you have you know the ceo of the new york times and if there was anybody that thought you know papers would survive sit you know, the guy from the New York Times saying, I, I think maybe we've got 10 years at best. Not that the New York Times is going to go away, but that that print edition is going to go away. And I, I understand there's a lot of us that are going to miss it. I still get several newspapers delivered to my doorstep on a given day. I I. I like sitting down with the newspapers at the end of the night and having a drink and, and reading through the papers. I love, you know, pouring through the Sunday papers on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday morning. But I, I acknowledge that there's not that many of me around anymore, for good or bad. And I think this is just going to be where you go. More and more people are doing, like, digital stuff, and that's just going to be the future of this. And I think what you see is the CEO of the New York Times is just um, – he he's saying that as a reality. Okay, Melissa Barclay just walked in the studio. Melissa, all right, turn on your microphone. All right, hard. I mean, do you? I look. I, I know you are an avid reader. You're up on current events and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I mean, do you do you get a do you sit down on a daily basis with a hard copy of the newspaper? Uh, I would have to say no. I actually go online yeah. and I use my apps. Right, exactly. You're, you're getting the information, um, but you know you're not. You're not getting the newspaper delivered to your house on a daily basis or something like that. Not at all. But I do say on Sunday mornings, I like to go get the Sunday paper down the street at the Starbucks. Right. And sit there and linger with that. I exactly. do. Yes. But, but I mean, I think yours yours is the typical situation. And it's why I think like the CEO of the New York Times, you know, who's given interviews yesterday, said, I think print has maybe 10 years tops. And I think that's just... The, the reality. Well, like you said, they're under a, they're under a big transition now. I mean, it, like it's digital. They're sure. doing video. They're right. trying to keep up. 
you know, and, with and, everything. And as much as this pains me, um, we are of different, to admit, you know, we're of different generations. Sure, and, sure. you know, people that are my age grew up with newspapers and still like having the hard copies of the newspaper. But even then, they're, they're changing. I mean, I, a lot of the stuff that I might have used to read, I used to read in, you know, like, like actually printed form. Now I, I read it digitally. Right. And I think, like I say, you know, you talk to people maybe under 40, certainly under 30, and you say newspaper, and they just kind of like look at you blankly. So it's just an evolving trend. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what Melissa and John McCure and Greg Matzik have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 2.55. This is Jeff Wagner.